Heart of the World by H. Ryder Haggard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 4 The Legend of the Heart. When I had gone a few paces down the hole, it widened suddenly so that we were able to stand upright and light our candles. Now there was no doubt that we were in the tunnel of an old mine, a rudely dug shaft that turned this way and that as it followed the windings of the ore body. Along this tunnel we went for thirty or forty paces, creeping over the fallen boulders and twisting ourselves between the brown stalactites that in the course of ages had formed upon the roof and the floor, till presently we reached an obstacle that barred our further progress, a huge mass of rocks which at some time or other had fallen from the roof of the tunnel and blocked it. I looked at it and said, Now, Senor, I think we shall have to go back. You remember, uh, the writing tells us that uh, this mine, although so rich, was unsafe because of the rottenness of the rock. Doubtless they propped it in the old days, but the timbers have decayed long ago. Yes, he answered. We can do nothing here without help, and Ignatio, I, I don't like the look of the roof. It is full of cracks. As these last words left his lips, a piece of stone the size of a child's head fell from above almost at his feet. Speak softly, I whispered. The ring of your voice is bringing down the roof. Then I stooped to pick up the fallen stone, thinking that it might show ore, and as I did so my hand touched something sharp, which I lifted and held to the candle. It was the jawbone of a man, yellow with age and corroded by damp. I showed it to the Signor, and kneeling down we examined the bed of the tunnel together, and not uselessly, for there we found the remainder of the skull and some fragments of an arm bone, but the rest of the skeleton lay under the great boulder in front of us. He was coming out of the mine when the rocks fell upon him, poor fellow, whispered the Signor. Look here, and he pointed to a little heap of something that gleamed in the candlelight. It was free gold, six or seven ounces of it, almost pure and for the most part in small nuggets that once were contained in a bag which had long since rotted away. Doubtless, after the mine was closed, some Aztec who knew its secret had made a practice of working there for his own benefit, till one day as he was coming out the rock fell upon him and crushed him, leaving his spirit to haunt the place forever. "'There is no doubt about this mine being rich,' whispered the Signor. "'But all the same, I think that we had better get out of it. "'I hear odd noises and rumblings which frighten me. "'Come, Ignatio.' "'And he turned to lead the way towards the opening. Two paces farther I saw him strike his ankle against a piece of rock "'that stood up some six or eight inches from the floor-bed of the tunnel, "'and the pain of the blow was so sharp that, forgetting where he was, "'he called out loudly.' The next instant there was a curious sound above me, 
as of something being torn, and, lo, I lay upon my face on the rock, and upon me rested a huge mass of stone. I say that it rested upon me, but that is not altogether true, for had it been so, the stone would have killed me at once, uh, as a beetle is killed beneath the foot of a man, instead of taking more than two and twenty years to do it. The greater part of its weight was borne by a piece of rock against which the Signor had struck his leg, a point of the fallen boulder only pressing into my back and grinding me against the ground. Now we were in darkness, for the Signor had knocked down also, and his candle extinguished, and in the midst of my tortures it came into my mind that he must be dead. Presently, however, I heard a voice saying, Ignacio? Do you live, Ignacio? Now I thought for a moment. Even in my pain, I remembered that more of the roof would surely give ere long, and that if my friend stayed here, he must die with me. Nothing could save me. I was doomed to a slow death beneath the stone. And yet if I told him this, I knew that he would not go. Therefore I answered as strongly as I could. "'Fly, Signor, I am safe, and do but stay to light a candle, and I will follow you.' "'You're lying to me,' he answered. "'Your voice comes from the level of the floor.' And, as he spoke, I heard the scratching sound of a match. So soon as he had found his candle and lit it, he knelt down and looked at me. Then he examined the roof above, and— Following his glance with difficulty, I saw that next to the hole whence the boulder had fallen hung a huge block of stone that, surrounded by great cracks from which water dripped, trembled like a leaf whenever he moved or spoke. "'For the love of God, fly!' I whispered. "'In a few hours it will be over with me, and you cannot help me. I am a dead man. Do not stop here to share my fate.' For a moment he seemed to hesitate. Then his courage came back to him, and he answered hoarsely, "'We entered this place together, friend, and we will go out together, or not at all. You must be fixed by the rock, and not crushed, or you would not speak of living for hours. Let me look.' And he lay upon his breast and examined the fallen rock by the light of his candle. "'Thank God there is hope,' he said at last. The boulder rests on the ground, and above the stone against which I struck my leg, for only one point of it is fixed in your back. Do you think that anything is broken, Ignacio? Oh, I cannot say, senor. My pain is great, and I am being slowly crushed to death, but I believe that as yet my bones are whole. Fly, I beg you. I will not, he answered sullenly. I am going to roll this rock off you. Then, lifting with all his great strength, he strove to move the stone, but without avail, for it was beyond the power of mortal man to stir it, and all the while the black mass trembled above his head. "'I must go for help,' he said presently. "'Yes, yes, senor,' I answered, "'go for help,' for I knew well that before he could return with any, more of the roof would have fallen, shutting me in to perish by inches, or perhaps crushing the life out of me in mercy. Then I remembered and added, Stay a moment before you go. You are noble. I will give you something. I feel here round my neck. There is a little chain. Now draw it over my head, so. You see a token hangs to it. If ever you are in trouble with the Indians, 
Take their chief man apart and show him this, and he will die for you if need be. Englishman, by this gift I have made you heir to the empire of the Aztecs in the heart of every Indian and the master of the great brotherhood of Mexico. Molas the messenger will tell you all and bring you to those who can initiate you. Bid him lead you whither he would have led me. Farewell, and God go with you. Tell the Indians how I died, that they may not think you have murdered me. To these words of mine the Signor made no answer, but thrust the token into his pocket without looking at it, like one who, who dreams. Then, taking the candle with him, he crept forward down the tunnel and vanished, and my heart sank as I saw him go, leaving me to my dreadful fate without a word of farewell. Oh, doubtless he was too frightened to speak, I thought, and it is right that he should fly as quickly as possible to save his life. Now, as I was soon to learn, I was doing the Signor bitter wrong in my mind, seeing that he never dreamed of deserting me, but went to find a means of rescue. As he told me afterwards, when he reached the mouth of the tunnel, he could think of no way by which I might be saved, since these mountains were uninhabited, and it would take several hours to bring men from Kumarvo. Outside the mine he sat himself down to consider what could be done, but no thought came, for it was impossible to use the strength of the horses in that narrow place. Then he sprang up and looked round him in despair. Close to him was a little ravine hollowed by water, and on its very edge grew a small mimosa thorn, of which the long roots had been washed almost bare by flood. He saw it, and an inspiration entered into him. With the help of a lever he might be able to do a feat to which his unaided strength was not equal. Springing at the little tree that, uh, being of so tough a wood, was the best possible for his purpose, he tore it from such root-hold as remained to it. A few strokes with his heavy hunting knife trimmed off the branches and fibers, and soon he was creeping carefully up the tunnel, dragging the tree after him. When he had gone some twenty paces, he heard another fragment of the roof fall, and so he said in his story, was minded to fly. He had but just escaped from a horrible end in the end that generations ago overtook the poor Aztec, and it was awful to brave it again. He knew that his chances of being able to rescue me were few indeed, whereas those that he would perish miserably in the attempt were many. Then he remembered what my sufferings must be if I still lived, also how his own convenience would reproach him in the after years should he leave me to my fate, and he went on. Now that he could see that uh, the half-detached mass of roof still hung, it was a smaller fragment which had fallen one nearer to the entrance. He could see also that I lay in the same position beneath the rock, and he thought that I was dead because I neither moved nor spoke, though in fact I had but swooned under the agony of my suffering. "'Are you dead?' he whispered, and I heard his voice through my sleep, and lifted my head, looked up at him, astonished, for I'd never thought to see him again. "'Do I behold a spirit?' I said, or is it you come back? "'It is I, Ignatio, and I have brought a lever. Now, 
when I live, struggle forward if you can. Then he placed the trunk of the thorn-tree in what seemed to him the best position, and put all his strength upon it. It was in vain, even so he could not stir the rock. "'Try a little more to the right,' I said faintly. "'There is a better hold.' He shifted the lever and dragged at it till his muscles cracked, and I felt the stone tremble as its bulk began to rise. "'If you can help ever so little it will come,' he gasped. Then in my despair, though the anguish of it nearly killed me, I set my palms upon the ground, and, contracting myself like a snake that is held with a forked stick, thrust upwards with my back till the point of the stone was raised to the height of eight or ten inches from the ground. For a moment, and one only, it hung there. Next instant the lever slipped, and down it came again, but I had taken my chance, for clinging to the floor with my fingers as soon as my back was free, with a quick movement I dragged myself a foot or more forward. Then the point of the rock that had been lifted from my spine fell again, but this time it struck the ground between my thighs. Now he seized me by the arms and tore me free, though I left one of my long boots beneath the stone. I strove to rise, but could not, because of the hurt to my back. "'You must carry me, Signor,' I said. He glanced at the mass that trembled above us. Then, giving me the candle, he lifted me from the ground like an infant, and staggered forward down the tunnel. Perhaps we had gone some seven or eight paces, not more, when there was a dreadful crash behind us. The roof had fallen in, and the spot which we occupied some thirty seconds ago was now piled high with rocks. On, I said, cracks are showing in the stone above us, and he rushed forward till we found ourselves outside the mine. Now I bowed my head and returned thanks for my escape. Then, lifting it, I looked my preserver in the face and said, I swear by the name of God, Signor, that he never made a man nobler than yourself. The next instant I fell forward and fainted there among the ferns. Ten days had passed since I was carried from the mouth of that accursed mine back to Camarvo, in a litter, and during all this time I had suffered much pain in my back, and been very ill, so ill indeed that I was scarcely allowed to speak with anyone. Now, however, I was much better, and one afternoon the Signor Strickland, assisted by my foster brother Molas, lifted me from my bed into a hammock. "'By the way, Ignacio,' said the Signor, when Molas had gone, "'I never gave you back that charm of yours. What a strange trinket it is,' he added, taking it from his neck. "'And what did you mean by your talk in the tunnel about "'its making me heir to the empire of the Aztecs "'in the heart of every Indian, and the rest of it? "'I suppose that you were delirious with pain "'and did not know what you were saying.' "'Is the door shut, Signor?' I asked. "'And, and are you sure that there is no one on the veranda? "'Good. "'Then draw your chair nearer, and I will tell you something.' I'm not certain that I should take this talisman back again. Still, I will do so for reasons which you shall learn presently. 
know senor that this broken gem is at once the foundation stone and the secret symbol of a great order of which although you have not been initiated into it you are now one of the lords seeing that the crowning and vital ceremony of the creation of a lord of the hearts consists in the hanging of the symbol about his neck for the space of a minute only by himself who am the chief lord and keeper of the heart of life and you have worn it for ten whole days before we part i will call a chapter of the order for even among these mountains we have brethren and you shall be initiated into its ritual and raised to the rank of a chief lord as is your right meanwhile I will instruct you briefly in its mysteries, as it is my bounden duty to do. Understand, Signor, that the first duty of the servant of the heart is silence, and that silence I demand of you. Men have died ere now, Signor, yes, they have died on the rack in the dungeons of the Inquisition, and shriveled as wizards in the fires of the stake sooner than reveal these things that have been told them upon the faith of the heart against which the confessional itself cannot prevail no not with the best of catholics but suppose that a man should not keep silence ignatio what then he asked there is a land senor i answered where the most talkative grow dumb, and its borders can be crossed by all, even by the lords of the heart, for fearful is the doom of a false brother. You mean that if I repeat anything I may hear, I shall be murdered? Oh, indeed, no, senor. But you may happen to die. I speak on the heart. Do you hear with the ears? I here with the ears he answered catching my meaning very well senor since you have now sworn secrecy to me by the most sacred oath that can pass the lips of a man i will speak to you openly this is the tale of the broken heart so far as i know it though how much of it is truth and how much legend i cannot say you have heard the story of that white man or god sometimes called quetzal by the indians and sometimes chuchumats who came to these lands in the far past and civilized their peoples afterwards he vanished away in a ship promising that when many generations had passed he would return again when he had gone the empire which he had created fell into the hands of two brothers whose chief city was either palenque or its in its neighborhood and the citizens of this empire like we christians worshipped one good god the true god under the name of heart of heaven and to him they offered few sacrifices save those of fruit and flowers now one of these brothers married a wife from another country a daughter of devils very beautiful and a great witch soon this woman as in the story of the wives of solomon and their lord drew away the king her husband from the true faith to the worship of the gods of her own land and brought it about that he offered human sacrifice to them 
Then there arose a great confusion in the country, and the end of it was that the people divided themselves into two parties, the worshippers of the heart of heaven and the worshippers of devils. They made war upon each other till many of their chief men were killed. Then they came to an agreement whereby the nation was sundered. Half of it, under that king who had married the woman, marched northwards and became the fathers of the Aztecs and other tribes, and half the faithful worshippers of the heart remained in the Tabasco country. Now from that day forward evil overtook both these peoples, for though the Aztecs flourished for a while, in the end Spaniards despoiled them. The worshippers of the heart were also driven from their cities by hordes of barbarians who rolled down upon them, and their faith perished, or seemed to perish. But what has this history to do with the charm about your neck, Ignatio? he asked. I will tell you. When Quetzal sailed away from his people, so says the legend, he left the stone that once he had worn upon his brow, of which this is the half, to be a treasure to the kings who came after him. Also he set his fate upon it, that while the heart remained unbroken, for so long should the people be one and whole. But if it came about that it was cut or shattered, they should be divided with it, and no more one people again until the fragments were one stone. Now, when these king brethren quarreled and parted, they sawed the token asunder, as you see, each of them keeping a half, this half being that of him who married the woman. For generations it was worn by his descendants, and upon their deathbeds passed on to them to another, or at times taken from their bodies after they were dead. There are many stories told about the stone in the old days, and it is certain that he who had it was the real king of the country for the time being. At length it came into the hands of the great Guatemoc, last of the Aztec emperors, who, before the Spaniards hung him, found means to send it to his son, from whom it has come down to me. To you? What have you to do with the Guatemoc? I am his lineal descendant, senor, the eleventh in the male line. Then you ought to be emperor of the Indians, if every man has his rights, Ignatio. Oh, that is so, senor. But of my own story I will tell you presently, now of this stone. Through all the ages it has never been lost, and it is known in the land from one end to the other. He who wears it for his life, being called Keeper of the Heart, and also Hope of those who wait, since it may happen in his day that the two halves will come together again. And what if they do? Then, so says the legend, the Indians will once more be a mighty nation and drive those who oppress them into the sea as the wind drives dust. Now the Senor rose from his chair and walked up and down the room. Do you believe all this? he asked suddenly. Yes, I answered, or the greater part of it. Indeed, if what I hear is true, 
the lost half of the talisman that has been missing for so many generations is in mexico at this moment and so soon as i am well enough i go to seek him who bears it and who has come from far to find me that is why we must part senor oh, where has this man come from he asked eagerly well, i do not know for certain i answered but i think he has come from the sacred city of the indians the hidden golden city which the spaniards sought for but could not find though it still exists among the mountains and deserts of the far interior whether i hope to journey with him that still exists ignacio oh you must be mad it never has existed except in the imagination you say so senor but i think differently at least i knew a man whose grandfather had seen it he the grandfather was a native of san juan batista in tabasco and when he was young he committed some crime and fled inland to save his life all that befell him i do not know but at length he found himself wandering by the shores of a great lake somewhere in or beyond the country that is now known as guatemala and being exhausted he laid himself down to die there and fell asleep when he awoke people were standing round him like the indians to look at but very light in colour and beautifully dressed in white robes with necklaces of emeralds and feathered capes these people put him on board a great canoe and took him to a glorious city with a high pyramid in the centre of it which was named heart of the world of this city he saw little however for its inhabitants kept him a prisoner only from time to time he was brought before their king and elders who sat in a hall filled with images of dead men fashioned in gold and there was questioned as to the country whence he came the tribes that dwelt in it and more especially of the white men who ruled the land in that hall alone so he said there were more gold and precious stones than are to be found in all mexico when he had nothing more to tell them the people wished to kill him fearing lest he should escape and bring upon them the white man who loved gold the end of it was that he did escape by the help of a woman who guided him back towards the sea though she never came there for she died upon the road afterwards this man went to live in a little village near palenque where he also died having revealed nothing of what he had seen since he feared lest the vengeance of the people of the heart should follow him when he was dying he told his son who told his son who told the tale to me senor it has been the dream of my life to visit that city and now at last i think that i have found the clue which will lead me to it why do you want to visit it ignacio to understand that senor you must know my history and i told him of the failure of the great plot and of the part i had played in it all of which i have already set out also the secret hopes and ambitions of my life senor i added though i am beaten i am not yet crushed and i still desire to build up a great indian empire i see by your face that you think me foolish well you may be right 
or I may be right. I may be pursuing truths or dreams. I may be sane and a redeemer, or insane and a fool. What does it matter? I follow the light that runs before me. Will o' the wisp or star, it leads to one end, and for me it is the light that I am born to follow. If you believe nothing else, at least believe this, Senor, that I do not seek my own good or advancement, but rather that of my people. At the worst, I am not a knave, I am only a fool. But how will you help your cause by visiting the city, supposing it, supposing it does exist, Ignacio? Thus, Senor, these people, among whom without doubt the old man of whom I have spoken, who is named Zibalbe, is a chief or king, are the true stock and head of all the Indian races, and when they learn my plans and who I am, they will be glad to furnish me with means whereby I can bring them to their former empire. And if they take another view of the matter, Ignacio, then I fail, that is all. And among so many failures, one more will scarcely matter. I am like a swimmer who sees, or thinks he sees, a single plank that may bear him to safety. Maybe he cannot reach that plank, or if he reach it, maybe it will sink beneath his weight. At least he has no other hope. Senor, I have no other hope. There in the golden city is untold wealth, for the man saw it, and without money, great sums of money, I am helpless. Therefore I go thither to win the money. The ship has foundered under me, and with it the cargo of my ambition and the work of my life. So being desperate, I fall back upon a desperate expedience. First, I will seek this man, that the two halves of the heart may come together, and the prophecy be fulfilled. Then, if it may be, I will travel with him to the city heart of the world, careless whether I live or die, but determined, if there is need, to die fighting for the fulfillment of the dream of an Indian empire, Christian regenerated and stretching from sea to sea, that I have followed all my days. The dream, Ignacio, perhaps you name it well. Yet few have such noble dreams. And now who goes with you on this journey? Who goes with me? Molas, so far as the temple where the Indian is. After that, if I proceed, no one. Who would accompany a man grown old in failure, whom even those that love him deem a visionary on such a desperate quest? Why, if I should dare to tell my projects even, men would mock me as children mock an idiot in the street. I go alone, senor, perhaps to die. As regards the dying, Ignatius, of course I can say nothing, since all men must die sooner or later, and the moment and manner of their end is in the hand of providence. But for the rest you shall not make this journey alone, that is, if you care to have me for a companion, for I will accompany you. You, senor? You? You? 
Think what it means, the certainty of every sort of danger, the risk of every kind of death, and at the end the probability of failure. It is folly, senor. Ignacio, he answered, I will be frank with you. Notwithstanding all the prophecies about the wonders that are to follow the reuniting of the heart and the messages from the old man in the temple, I think your scheme of building up an Indian empire greater than that which Cortes destroyed as impracticable as it is grand. The time has gone by when it could have been done, or perhaps it has not yet returned. But before the Indians can rule again, they must forget the bitter lessons and the degradation of ages. In short, they must be educated, Ignacio. Still, if you think otherwise, that is your affair. You can only fail, and there are failures more glorious than most successes. Do you understand me? Perfectly, senor. Very well. Now, as regards the search for this golden city, to me the matter seems very vague, since your hopes of finding it are based upon a traveler's tale told by a man who died seventy or eighty years ago, and the chance that a certain person, whom you have not yet seen, has come from there, and is willing to guide you back to it. Still, the prospect of hunting for that city pleases me, for I am an adventurer in my heart. If ever we get further than the forest country in Tabasco, where your friend with the token is waiting for you, our search will probably end in the leaving of our bones to decorate some wilderness or mountain top in the unknown regions of Guatemala. But what of that? I have no chick or child. My death would matter nothing to any living soul. For years I have worked hard with small results. Why should I not follow my natural bent and become an adventurer? I can scarcely do worse than I have done, and I think that the way of life would suit me. That mine you showed me is rich enough, no doubt, but I have no capital to deal with it, and if I had, my experience of the place was such that I never wished to set foot in it again. In short, I am ready to start for Tabasco and the sacred city, or whatever else you like, uh, so soon as you are fit to travel. Do you swear that on the heart, senor? I asked. Oh, by all means, but I should prefer to give you my hand upon it. And he stretched out his hand, which I took. Good. You swear on the heart and give me your hand. The oath is perfect. We are comrades henceforth, senor. For my part, I ask no better one. I have nothing more to say. I cannot promise that you will find this city, or that if you find it, it will advantage you. I am an unlucky man, and it is more likely that by yoking yourself with me, you will bring my misfortunes upon your head. This I swear, however, that I will be a true comrade to you, as you were to me in yonder in the mine. And for the rest, uh, the adventure must be its own reward. End of chapter 4